So last episode, we had a guest on with us, Shira, and she was talking about the 24-7 prayer movement. And she just got back from Belfast, what was it, a couple weeks ago, and she talked about some of her experiences there and what's going on globally with that movement. Uh, We wanted to talk to her a little bit more about her role she had here in the 24-7 prayer movement in Canada. We're going to get into that conversation with her in this episode. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we share the stories, have the conversations to strengthen your corporate and your personal prayer life. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Jaden. And we are once again joined by our good friend Shira. Welcome back, Shira. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, so last week we talked a little bit about Belfast, and I wish I was there. You made me a little jealous. Uh but this week, I've I've never actually got to visit your little prayer room in Little or Big, I don't know, because I've never been there. But in GoHop in Hamilton, the one you just moved to Winnipeg from, that you were a part of for many years. Uh, but we, we wanted to hear a little bit more about that because we don't, in this stream, we don't hear too much about that stream. We love them. We kind of connect with them online and 24-7 prayer. We follow them on social medias and, and we pray for them and we're excited about what's happening around them, but we don't really get to hear the stories. We've never had a 24-7 official person guest on our podcast, so this is a privilege for us. So we kind of wanted to start with some prophetic stuff here. So like, are there any prophetic experiences or encounters that have been instrumental in in keeping you steady in the 24-7 prayer movement over the years? I I know that there has been prophetic, like they lean into that as well. But uh, I would say for me, the thing that has really kept me or held me is the people. Uh, for me, I when I moved to Hamilton, I looked Jill Weber up and uh, basically just asked to follow her around. Like, <laughs> So uh, I kind of like stalked her for a couple of years. Well, and she I mean, she allowed me to until she moved to the UK. But really, it was uh, she was someone who emulated the prayer movement, but the mission and justice that went along with prayer. And so I just followed her as much as she like my schedule, and she would allow her family would allow. Great, we've we've had Jill Weber in our prayer room quite a few times, singing on teams mm-hmm. and stuff when she comes to visit Winnipeg. She actually just wrote a book. It came out this fall. Ooh, what's it called? Even the Sparrow. Even the Sparrow. I think I saw her post that on social media. Also a really good book for people who just want to be encouraged on where God might be leading them. So you were saying that the the people are what really uh, kept you steady and and helped you sort of persevere and and stay focused, especially in something that can be as challenging as prayer. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? What was it like being at GoHop? One of the values of 24-7 is uh, hospitality and pilgrimage pilgrimage because it's such so long to say hospitality pilgrimage often just like you don't doesn't make it on the posters but that there's this value for making time to be with people and they often say that the kingdom of god moves at the speed of relationship and so being under jail and getting to follow her around i got the opportunity to go visit the 
House of Prayer in Vancouver on the downtown east side, see how they were doing prayer and justice and be inspired by their story and their years of just uh, faithfulness. Uh, Then going to the conferences in like Vienna and visiting different communities, getting to go down to Kansas City and visiting Nava Church down there and hearing their story and being with them. And then because of Jill's connections and some of the leaders from 24-7 coming to visit us and then being able to name what was going on in our community, which just felt so normal. I think Jill once, she wrote a blog about this once, but I think it's just a common story about like there's these two fish swimming in a stream and they're just like swimming. And then a third fish comes around and looks at the two and says, oh, this is really nice water and then swims off. And one of them turns to the other one and says, what's water? And that uh, the reality that sometimes when we're in the midst of it, we don't realize the grace and the beauty that we're carrying and we need outside people to come to come and speak that. But then also when we go to other places, we get inspired and can encourage them the same way that others encourage us. And so that's the people, it's the relationships that have been, I think, the most inspiring. So in a praying community where the focus is is centered around spending hours before God and in prayer and in that sort of sphere, how do you find that you're able to build community into that as well? Is it in like the same sort of building of a place for community or how do you sort of structure that so that it comes along with the prayer? One of the things that Jill did was oh, so she, on one of her visits to the Vancouver prayer community, she realized that they did a community dinner six nights a week. They don't do it as quite as often as they did on the downtown east side. So anyone and everyone would show up. Uh, and Jill thought, oh, I want to do that. So she came home, told Kirk, who's an extreme introvert, and he said, you can have one night. <laughs> <laughs> and so then that started, that was actually the Spaghetti Tuesdays, the thing that welcomed me in and actually gave me an on-ramp of relationship and then opened the door to the prayer room. For me. Uh, and then so a lot of that was just building friendships and then out of the friendship, creating times and spaces. And for me, being one of the, when I was on staff, a lot of what I did is I was in the prayer room and my time would be unstructured. I might be there for four hours or maybe just two, depending on the day. But I would tell my friends when I was going to be there and I say, if you come with a prayer agenda, that will be the theme for the hour. And by the time I left, I was there for five years. I had themes most of the hours that I was there, but it was all me coming to help midwife or help carry other people's visions of prayer and just being that prayerful presence that helped give them a steadfastness that then my friends would, yeah, they they don't feel called to the lifestyle of prayer in the same intensity that maybe I do, but I, what the service that I can offer is to be there with them to help them. Uh, feel more comfortable and feel like they're partnering and have more energy because they're doing it with someone. I also like praying more with people. So then having other people in the prayer room helped me stay focused. So if you were someone, I'm not saying you specifically, if one of our listeners, let's say, want to start a a 24-7 community like that, would you recommend them starting like a spaghetti night to grow their community? Because that's how you got connected. Um. I would invite them to pray about how that like how that story or what elements really zing with them because part of how GoHop ended up the way they are is that Jill always said that when they did the IHOP stuff it felt like they were wearing a really good friend's 
favorite sweater and it looked really good at IHOP, but they lived in a different culture. The U.S. culture is way different than Canada. Like they're just like the the amount of resources and churches they have to pull from is just different than in a post-Christian country and like the environment and so and her personality and all that. And so she really had to pray about, well, what what are the gifts and the people that God has brought me? And, and what does that look like in our context? And so for her, she has a gift of hospitality and she wanted to grow in that. And so then she also started following around someone who did that really well. And then through those relationships, then would craft the prayer time. Like, so we still were dedicated to having so many hours of prayer, but then what those prayer times looked like were shaped a lot more through who God brought through the door. I think what you're hinting at is is that idea that we always want a formula. We want someone to tell us how to do it. And that's just not how the kingdom works. It's about relationship with God. It's about, in this case, literally praying about how you're supposed to pray, how you're supposed to do community. We can't tell any of our listeners, this is how it's going to look in your city, in your place. We can we can give them examples. We can give them encouragement. But at the end of the day, they really have to seek God of, of in terms of how it's going to play out in their place. Um, and I think sometimes that's kind of scary. I think we want formulas because it's easier to do those. But like you're saying, sometimes it does feel like you're wearing someone else's favorite sweater. Yeah. And another kind of image that we use a lot in uh, Hamilton is that we're like people soup. And so every time someone new comes to the mix, it changes the flavor of the soup. And so anytime someone comes in our doors, we often are praying, okay, what is the gift that you carry? What is God doing and growing in your life? Like what are your growing edges and how is God calling us to create space for you to thrive in those places that you... Uh, and so when you're trying to build a house of prayer or create spaces of prayer, uh, praying about who are your cast of characters and what what yeah, what yeah people has God actually brought in your door, and that might give you a hint as to what he's actually wanting to build. I find it interesting that she kind of built it around what her personality type was and what her strengths were. Like you said, it's like she's wearing a friend's coat when we, she was trying the other model. And then she tries something that is way more her, and then it begins to thrive. I just find that really interesting. It's probably the same way it works with even our stream of the prayer movement. Like, I can't see our director, Brian, doing it the way, doing the way Jill would have done it, because he wouldn't have thrived in that atmosphere. But the way he built it with the IHOP model, he's thriving, and that's the way he grows it. It's just interesting. But even still, like IHOP does literal 24-7 prayer, and we've been very careful as shop to never push ourselves for that to be a goal. Uh, definitely day and night, this idea of a consistent place of prayer is something we're striving for, and in different seasons it looks different, but we've been really careful not to somehow try to hit the 24-7 mark, and then that's the that's the goal, because in our context, again, with our resources, uh, you would just burn out trying to do that in such a smaller city and smaller environment. And you're right about it being very different, Canada. The culture is totally different, and it's so hard to bring in those resources of like money, buildings, and and even the people to be for them to be able to raise support enough to get enough musicians and singers to build a twenty four seven prayer. You just got to build differently here. It's it's interesting. I've noticed on social media, Jill Weber posting pictures of this U-Haul truck that they rent out in the summer and they have people in there praying. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's our prayer truck. Yeah. Uh, every, it's one of my favorite times of the year, actually. Uh, that was one of the things that when I started at GoHop that Jill, she gave me the managing of the prayer space and she gave me the running of the prayer truck. And uh, so we rent a U-Haul truck every summer 
we paper the walls and we park it behind a youth drop-in center that we've had for ongoing relationship with in their, basically their garbage alley, actually. So it's not really, some days it smells a bit more than others. Uh, and then we just put out a sign that says, need prayer, question mark, and then uh, ha- hand out water and just are there to be present in the neighborhood and open to whoever God might send our way. Yeah, we actually had one of our staff members that did go visit your house of prayer, and she came back loving the prayer truck. She's like, this thing is awesome. We got to do it here. Uh, We didn't rent out a truck, but we did something a little bit different where we got the need prayer sign, and we went to uh, one of the inner city parks where there are a lot of of refugee families living around there, and we just offered prayer, and and we've been doing it for, what, two, three summers now, and it's been great. We love it. Uh, So... Like that prayer truck idea, whoever came up with that, if it was Jill, thank you, Jill, because like that whole idea has grown into more prayer in a, in a completely different city in the core. So that's really cool. Yeah. Again, that was one of the stories of someone saying, I have this, like someone came to Jill saying, I have a U-Haul truck. Do you have a use for it? And she thought, I'll get back to you. And then... Uh, but there's like in the UK, uh, like in other countries and within 24 seven, there have been people who've had mobile prayer rooms. They like will renovate like an old van into a prayer space and drive it across the country or park it in different places or at camps or at Christian festivals or things. So it almost sounds like the IHOP story too, where someone said, Hey, I got these trailers. Would you have any use for these trailers? <laughs> Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the exact totally. story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, that's where IHOP started their prayer, their 24-7 prayer in trailers. So, uh, Well, I was thinking about like God's, provi- like the, it's kind of like Moses being called to do something. And then God's like, what do you have in your hand? And he had a staff, which was what he used for sheep. It was just very ordinary. But God makes those ordinary things quite extraordinary sometimes. So he uses Jill with her gift things to build the type of prayer meeting that she would be able to run. And he gives you guys a truck saying, here's another thing that you could do something with. So you use that and turn it into a prayer truck. And IHOP has their trailers and they turn it into 24-7. It's just kind of cool that the Lord's just given these small gifts and you do some great things with whatever you're given. Well, it's interesting because you're using the building metaphor, but it's very similar to the... um to the organic um, sort of living gardening metaphor. And they often get mixed um, back and forth. I know in Ephesians, Paul talks about being rooted and grounded in love. And so it's this interesting thing of being grounded is a very physical building, like a foundation, like a rock, but then rooted is much more like an organic root system. Um, And so those biblical metaphors, like we're supposed to be this, where Jesus is the chief cornerstone where we're being built up as a, as a physical building metaphor, but then it's also, he's the vine and we're the branches. And so there's this, this organic metaphor. And I feel like they both go hand in hand. Um, And I really like that kind of picture of it where we're also, it's not like we have this blueprint and everybody sort of has to get in line. It's like, no, no, we take the organic, the things that the Lord has put in us, the the way he's made us individual. And that gets, you know, organically grafted in like a, like a gardener would kind of find a place for each little plant, each little flower, kind of trim them and prune them and make them grow the way they're supposed to grow. And I think it's really cool how some of the ideas and the strategies that have come up weren't necessarily just um, strategies that people were given, but they came in the form of people. And the gifts and the ideas came in the form of different kinds of people. Like you said, this person, they had a U-Haul truck and maybe they were a U-Haul, tr- like a truck driver or different people having their personality and their strengths being the the ones in the community to, co- to actually come in as gifts and 
like you were saying earlier, just to take stock of the people that are in your community and asking the Lord, you know, what do you want to do through these people and with these ones that you've put here? So how does the prayer truck actually run? Like, is it all staff run or do you get people that are in the community that you bring the prayer truck to, to come and take some hours and, and be in the prayer room? Like, do they sign up? I'm just curious on how that actually works. Uh, sometimes, actually, because we always book people and buddies. Uh, and then we uh, now that we've actually done it for a number of years, we always have one experienced person on with someone who's newer. And so that could be a new person from the church. If I'm on, my church is quite inner city. So I try and actually get the people that would usually not get a chance to be on there. So they actually have something that empowers them. Um, but also there's a number of people who are actually a part of the community or lived in uh, Jill's community house for a while that actually we met through the prayer truck or actually really got to know them through the prayer truck. And so that interaction, there was one guy one summer that he wasn't a Christian, but he had just um, had a, a breakup and was feeling lonely. So hang out with us at the prayer truck every, like almost every day. And uh, if you went to pray for him, he would get a little skittish and would run away. But then when the prayer truck closed, he was like, well, where did, where did all my friends go? And they're like, oh, they run it was, uh, a prayer thing on Wednesday nights. Okay. Well, I'm not really into the Christian stuff, but like, I'll go because I like the community. And then actually that, that was how he uh, became a Christian. Uh, and then others just feel like it's the welcome, it's the welcome and feeling at home and safe and they don't have to participate in that way, but there is an invitation for them to uh, engage in different ways. And so we try and have people on the truck who at least have some, everyone will do it in different ways, but like have, have a bit of a, that hospitality of everyone's welcome. That's cool. Do you have any other stories from the prayer truck things that stand out significant? Uh, well, again, like again, unlikely welcomers. Like uh, I remember one year, there was this one guy, he was a youth. I think he had just aged out of the drop-in center, which we were behind. And so he was hanging out at the truck a lot and he was an athe- he was a professed atheist. And so I would ask if I could pray for him and he would say, no, he's like, well, I can't stop you. Like if you want, but like, I'm an atheist. And then he was hanging out one day and, and there was like some lady walking on, he looked a little like punk. He was like punk, had his tattoos, mohawk, whatever. And he's sitting there and the lady is walking on the other side of the street. And he's like, Hey, do you want some water? And I'm thinking they're not going to respond to you, but like, she's probably scared of you, but he did. And then he like, he's like, they'll pray for you too. And I just thought it was this really cool opportunity of like, he's standing on the edge, not sure if he's buying in yet, but yet he's still being an evangelist. Like he's still helping with the welcome. I, I, I still, whenever I see him on the street, I like, I'm like, oh yes, he's still alive. Cause you know, he lives all over and. So the prayer truck sounds awesome, and I don't know, if you probably don't want to give out your email address for people that want to know more about the prayer truck if they want to start their own, but you can message us at Burning Rooms. Whenever I hear of prayer truck, I, I just, I keep thinking of food truck, food truck Fridays. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not that you guys have have food at the at the prayer truck, but I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I like food trucks. So I've I've heard of this mysterious phrase coming out of uh coming out of that house of prayer there go hop the order of the mustard seed 
Now, when I first heard this, it sounds very mysterious, kind of ancient almost. I, I kind of think of like something in Scotland. You're getting an accent again. <laughs> no, that's Scotland. The first one was Ireland. This is Scotland. Uh, you know, the order of the mustard seed. So what exactly is that? I mean, does it have to do with faith? You know, the mustard seed in the Bible? Uh, and is there order to it? What's the order of the mustard seed? <laughs> Uh, what the lead up? Um, yeah, order of the mustard seed. Uh, so the order of the mustard seed has it does have ancient roots. It was originally founded by a guy named Count Zinzendorf in Eastern Germany. Actually, I guess it wasn't Eastern Germany then, because or what? Maybe it was seventeen hundreds. I think we've talked about this Zinzendorf guy before. Do you? He's, he's got a few different names. He likes to go by Zindor for short. Zin, okay. <laughs> Sorry, we'll let you. We'll let a guest continue. Go back to episode one and two, I think, and you'll you'll hear Jehu's version of that. Yeah. So Zinzendorf lived in the 1700s. Do you actually know how old he was or what age he was by? Because he was born in 1700. Uh, so when he was, I think, 16, because or somewhere around, because that's when you went to university back then. He. Uh, knew that he couldn't, he didn't, wouldn't live the life uh, following Christ that he wanted to if he didn't have community or friends to do it with. And so he gathered some friends of his together and they uh, made kind of like a commitment or a rule of life or something that they kind of would hold each other to so that they would actually uh, remain steadfast. I, I mean, the what they kind of held to changed a bit as the different seasons of life, but the kind of heart of it was to be true to Christ, kind to people and take the gospel to the nation. So the first commandment, second commandment, and great commission. And so that was back in the 1700s. He did that. It was actually that vow, his vow to be kind to people that led him to welcome the Moravians onto his land, the refugees. And he wasn't sure because they weren't his denomination, but then he was like, I made a vow to be kind. And so he welcomed them in. And that actually led to uh, the community of Hernhut, uh, which actually I think means the Lord's watch being birthing like over a hundred years of prayer. And so when 24-7 started, uh, they were inspired by this 100-year prayer of Hernhut. Uh, and then I think later on, uh, Pete learned and the community, the leaders learned about this rule of life. And they just thought, you know what? I think we need something to hold us steady as we go. Like, we don't want to turn to left or to the right, but we want to be ones who, at the end of our days, are actually living the life that we want. And so they kind of just quietly, I think about a hundred of them, just kind of a number of years ago, just quietly took vows and said, okay, we're going to hold each other accountable, and then did year renewals. Fast forward to a couple, five, six years ago, I believe, um, it was when Justin Willoughby, the guy who leads the Anglican church in the UK uh, came to his role. One of his mandates was to encourage prayer. And he came to 24 seven and said, Hey, I know that you guys had kind of quietly resurrected this just for yourselves, but maybe you guys should make it more public and, and put some more meat to it, some more structure to it so that you can actually invite a generation to it that are hungering for structure are hungering for something to give their lives to and to have some kind of community to guide them in that. And so that's when the order of the mustard seed became a bit more like they actually became more intentional about it and created a year of preparation. It's a five-year vow, but you can renew it yearly at the gatherings with them. Okay. So that's something that is still going on. Like they kind of adopted 
and they're using today in the 24-7 movement as well? Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's kind of got birthed out of the 24-7 movement. Not everyone that's part of 24-7 is a part of the Order of the Mustard Seed and not everyone part of the Order of the Mustard Seed is a part of 24-7, but they're, I guess, friends or it was birthed out of that heart. And the values of 24-7 are very much kind of intertwined because they talk about true to Christ, often expressed through prayer and creativity, kind to people is the hospitality, justice, and gospel to the nations is the mission and being lifelong learners and disciplers. Those all sound like good things. I mean, IHOP has a similar thing. They call it the sacred trust, and there's other names for it. I think the sacred charge in another part of our stream. And and actually, it reminds me even of uh, the Wesley brothers when they started the Holy Club. Out of their university days, they started something similar. So it seems like uh, the Lord calls these young men and women to holiness and lives of of praying and fasting, and there is a little bit of order to it. Like, yeah, like Mike Bickle talks about the power of a focused life, where he can look back 10 years ago and tell you what he's doing within the hour, pretty much, because he, he schedules his day in 15-minute increments of what he's doing. It's, it's really focused, and, and I think that's something that's kind of important, when, especially when you're a leader of one of these movements. So Pete Gregg probably had to grab onto the Order of the Mustard Seed piece for, for him to be a model for others to be in the movement. One thing that we haven't really mentioned too much, uh, but I just wanted to throw out there, I know in the in the model that we have at Sanctuary House of Prayer, we often have a lot of music. We often have a lot of, of worship songs, and that's a really core aspect for us. I was wondering if it's the same, if it's if it's different in your context. Is there a lot of music? Is there a lot of worship going on during the prayer? Is it different? We do actually use a lot of music, but we do our we probably have a lot more people who like silence. And so we also have uh, time and spaces where it's a little more quiet and which I actually, I think I started learning more. I couldn't do silence when I entered the prayer movement. Actually, the thing that was attractive to me about shop and IHOP was that it was music and really led me into the presence of God. But actually, shortly after I went to Hamilton, I was sitting in the prayer room watching the prayer feed and I heard this little voice in my head and it like it hit me hard and it said, so do you want to listen to their conversation with God or do you want to have your own? It's like, I want to have my own. I want to have my own. Uh, and I, so then I turned it off and then didn't know what to do uh, and got distracted. And it's been a journey of learning how to really like focus, not lean. Like, I mean, leaning on those things are not, not bad. I still use music. I still use other things, but also just having time where it's just me and God and not just filled with music or trying to learn or do stuff in prayer, but really just sitting in his presence and quiet. And so our prayer space uh, has a variety of expressions because again, that people soup analogy, it's like who God brings to us. So we have a guy that's like kind of like a minstrel type person. And so he sings the Psalms every Thursday morning. Uh, Peter Tigelar, I really hope he comes and visits uh, and you guys can meet him. But um and then we have, yeah, we have some different expressions based on who comes. And so there is harp and bowl, I think, once a week, but it's there's a lot of variety in the space as well. I think that's an important thing, actually, to not depend even on having music in the background all the time. Like even those at IHOP, like I was talking with, with Justin Rizzo, and he was saying an important part of him writing songs is having daily time of complete silence. Like he'll put on headphones and tune everything out, like 
not music in the headphones, like noise canceling headphones and just be silent and just allow the Lord to speak and just have that silence because we muddy our minds with so many noises, especially nowadays. Like you're listening to this podcast, so you're probably doing it now, but I'm not saying turn it off. In fact, you should probably listen to all of them, but, you know, building that time of silence, it's important to the prayer movement and for the Lord to be able to speak to you. I feel like there's an untapped market here in the podcast where you could just release a podcast that's just silence. And it could be like, you know, you have to listen to it every week to kind of get your feed, you know? episode of silence coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, but yeah. they would give incentive, right? Like, oh, did you get your episode in this week? I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of podcasts with like soft music or like quiet, reflective prayers as well. I'm just thinking like just like actual silence. 30 minutes in the car. Well, they also say uh, boredom is actually the key to creativity and innovation. Right. So we are so inundated with with things and noise that I think some of the creative ideas and maybe like songs that God wants to release or even like creative ideas for our communities uh, where it's too noisy to hear them. Like God is speaking, but we just haven't quieted our souls and our spirits down long enough to just hear them. And then also though, God also just wants to be with us without like sometimes like that's one of the things I've been learning is that like, sometimes I'm like trying to learn, I'm trying to improve myself. I'm trying to work on my own confession or sin or, and God actually just wants to be with us sometimes too. And if you have trouble sitting still, then sometimes a walk in nature can be really helpful. This prayer movement, I mean, we talked about a few weeks ago with, with our friend Alyssa, how it's a greenhouse for a lot of creatives to come into the prayer movement. Our stream of the prayer movement, like IHOP, Sanctuary House of Prayer, and the other houses of prayer, they raise up a lot of singers, musicians, songwriters. I'm curious, what have you found to be the creatives coming out of the 24-7 movement? Uh, I would say that there's a lot of writers. I th- well, because it was based in the UK, I think the UK really value that Like, they're really uh, critical thinkers. And so like Pete Gregg has ha- come out with a number of books. I think I've mentioned a few of them. Uh, Jill Weber just came out with a book. Yeah. So writing, uh, the vision poem came, well, I mean, I guess these are all Pete. So <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, he's a creative guy. I, a creative guy. Uh, but I would say, yeah, I, I would have to give it some more thought and like think about, but like the spaces themselves are art installations often, like they have a beauty to them that also leads you into the presence of God. And so in that side, I would say that creative side is often aesthetically. Yeah. Like um, even in the boiler rooms and the prayer truck, you got the paper on the walls and people can write yeah. poems. So sometimes and, it's just super simple like that. Right. And sometimes you can have fabric and elaborate <laughs> stuff yeah painters and stuff too but to me it always reminds me of the stained glass windows in in the really famous uh cathedrals i think uh when those were first made there was just this we want to have an aesthetically pleasing place to worship god we want to put beauty and put art up to remind us of his beauty and his faithfulness and i think that's so cool um rather than sometimes churches that you know can have sort of sterile walls it's just you know it's painted and it's just white or gray but to have that sort of vibrancy there i think that's it's really special. There's something about that. Well, this was a great conversation. Just getting into Shira's, Shira's history a little bit and hearing about the 24-7 prayer movement in Canada and how it works. If you want to hear more about the 24-7 prayer movement, you can go to 247prayer.ca or the US site is 247prayer.com. So as we come to a close to this episode, it is time for another... 
What does that mean? So again, we're missing our good friend and co-host, Brian. Nice to do this week. So I'm going to be... Uh, I know. What are we going to do without him? But uh, we're going to do our best to to explain another term for you today. So our term today, our word, is Hebrides. Now, in one of the very early episodes, our good friend and co-host, Jessica, thought Hebrides sounded like a disease. That's not the first thing that came to my mind. I think, like, if you break this word up, it's actually, like, it's confusing because of pronunciation, but it's, it really is a compound word. It's he and brides together. It's a compound word. And in the prayer room, they talk a lot about being the bride of Christ. And it, this could be confusing. And it's hard for us males, a lot of them, to come into this identity. So when we actually do come in, into this identity of being the bride of Christ, we can call ourselves he brides or Hebrides to <laughs> repronounce it, you know? <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for channeling your inner uh, Brian Neister there. That's a pretty bad definition of uh, of Hebrides. Hebrides is a place. Yeah. So, Shire, if you want to go ahead and take this one for our listeners, that'd be great. What is Hebrides so when really? We, when we talk about Hebrides in the prayer movement, do you know what we're referring to? It's well, it's a place uh, uh, north of Scot, like it's part of Scotland. It's a bunch of islands, the Hebrides Islands. And we often refer to Hebrides because there's a particular island that re- experienced revival. Uh, back in, uh, I don't know when it was. Yeah, I think it was the mid-1900s. And it, it, the power of the Lord just showed up in a like tangible way that people were just like going to the police station and like confessing their crimes um, because the, the presence of the Lord was so thick. So when they talk about Hebrides, they're often talking about that revival, but really it's a, it's a, a place and a bunch of islands. And for our house specifically, our house prayer, our leader was given a really key prophetic word for, for our house of prayer that our house of prayer would birth the Hebrides revival. And obviously not the Hebrides revival, but the Lord was referring back to a revival saying, I want to do the same thing I did there in your city. So if you come into our house of prayer or another house of prayer, they might have the, not have the same prophetic word, but that's what we're talking about. Hebrides Islands, Hebrides revival. We've even had it come in out in some courses. It's like, like Hebrides, you know. It's a good word for uh, for yeah. getting those rhymes. Yeah, not he brides. He brides would be hard to rhyme with. Yeah. Okay. I'm all about the rhymes. So this has been another episode of the Burning Rooms podcast. Uh, thank you again for joining us, Shira. Uh, it's been great. Until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Jaden. And I'm Shira. And this has been the Burning Rooms podcast. podcast.